Imperial battleship, halt the flow of time. I cannot swim, you Spanish peacock. I'm not Spanish, I'm Egyptian. You five-star, double-rated astronavigatrix. Oh, uh, uh, what? Space, herpy. Give me the remote control. Good heavens, General, that sounds like a woman. Impossible! More than a movie. An adventure you'll never forget. Welcome, listener, to Star Crashed. In this podcast, we discuss a movie we watched, and we figure out whether it's a shooting star, or if it's crashing hard, or if it's just fizzling out into oblivion. For now, our main rule is that the movie is released before the year 2000. My name is Ebba. My name is Linnea. And what did we watch, Linnea? We watched Damnation Alley, a post-apocalyptic sci-fi film from 1977. Any first thoughts there? Like, would you recommend this movie? Uh, not really. <laughs> it's uh, it, it has some things going for it, but uh, it is mostly a forgotten film, and I think it's forgotten for a reason. So, no. Um, when you look at 1977, there are much better sci-fi films you can watch. Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree with everything you just said. Definitely forgotten for a reason. Pretty bland. Um, I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone. Unless it's like on television and you're already like surfing on your phone or something. And you just want something in the, as a background noise. Yeah, I'd recommend it as background noise. That's my recommendation. So yeah, let's get into what's it about then. I'll be completely honest. I was kind of... Uh, the movie kind of lost me at one point, and after that, my memory is kind of blurry. So, you know, we'll, we'll help each other in this and figure out what it's really about and <laughs> the chain of events and things. But first up, uh, we're in a U.S. Air Force bunker, and we are treated to a number of explosions, like atomic bomb ex- explosions. Uh, which is essentially um, wiping out, I, I don't know what you want to call it, but like it's it's destroying the earth, essentially. And that leads to uh, horrible weather, strange, harsh, weird animals, and a, a lot of deaths, obviously. So it's like World War Three has happened, and this is now the aftermath. I want to point out that this is... We're going to get more into this later, but this is based on a novel. Uh, I read the novel, and that part is not in the book. Oh, um, interesting. The book, the book starts, I think, several years after the war has happened. Is the reason for like how why the Earth becomes scorched essentially the same? Like, Is it atom bomb that are responsible for that? Or? Uh, yes, I've, I believe that the basic premise uh, with the Third World War and all that, that's basically the same. Oh, okay. um, but when we get into the actual plot, there are quite a lot of differences, uh, which we will talk about later. Yeah, so I kind of have a follow-up question to that, because trying to figure out like when this happens and like how uh, much time has passed since then, it seemed like to be like a top tops three years or something. Mm-hmm. Is that the same thing in the book, or from when the war yeah, happened from, to from from uh, the bombs essentially to 
or like let's say end of the war or whatever like mm-hmm, the bombs mm-hmm. must be the end of the war because like what what can come after that right i mean you've 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 done it then so <laughs> to to when we're introduced to the characters i believe it's a much longer period of time in the book um i don't know if it's stated exactly how many years has passed uh but our main character in the book hell tanner i think he says that he doesn't really remember things from before the war and he's supposed to be like in the 20s or 30s uh, um, mm. age group so uh, I think at least 10 years probably more than that has passed because like in the movie I feel like they make references to us to like their previous lives like oh I remember when there we could hear country music on the radio and things that make it seem like it doesn't really happen like it didn't happen too long ago you know So mm-hmm. I was a kind of confused by the timeline for that. It just, I would have liked like see numbers in the beginning, like 20 years later or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, ambiguity is fine, of course. It's just a bit confusing when you have kind of young people um, seemingly having been through the war. Like, um, let's see what his name was. Um, yeah, yeah, no, Ke- it, yeah. Uh, Keegan. Keegan makes a reference to... Well, after the war, there wasn't really any point in doing all our duties as a soldier. Mm. And that makes it seem like, well, he was at least part of the war. And was that when the bombs, you know, you you see where I'm getting at. It's like a bit just. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, in in the book, there's not really any jumps in time. It it starts, like I said, 10 years or probably more. Uh, years after the war and then it just sort of continues in the following weeks yeah uh, okay time period i would guess yeah because there's also um late like a while into the movie the group that we're following is joined uh, a, a woman joins them and she seems to be like she was a tourist coming to america and then getting stuck she's like in her 30s yeah whatever it's <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> go too far off into the whole timeline thing but um anyway so we're at the same uh airbase once again well same bunker thing and but now now a couple of yeah, years after exactly the war. Yeah. how long we don't know you know i will direct you to our previous <laughs> conversation about that <laughs> uh and we have three main characters that you need to know about and it's uh tanner which you mentioned as is the main character and he's sort of this rascal you know bike dirt bike riding person and we also have keegan who is a fellow soldier a bit older i think Uh, and then we also have the major whose name is denton and these are the three main characters and then later we're jane we're joined with them joined by janice also but uh, we'll get to that so anyways there's an explosion happening at the airbase uh i don't really remember why there was an explosion It was, uh, I mean, there were, on the airbase, there were uh, more survivors than just Oh, yes, oh, yeah, people. yeah, should have said that. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> one, <laughs> because apparently, and this is the case in both the movie and the book, apparently there's like an infinite supply of cigarettes in the post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, no, yeah. Oh. And one, uh, one of uh, the uh, guys, survivors at this uh, base, Uh, he drops a cigarette and it starts a fire and then because they have bombs and stuff there it explodes and we have three survivors from seems that. really weird that they wouldn't have like regulation like 
What do you say? Like, yeah, and I reckon, I mean, he drops his cigarette on like a porn magazine. But I I sort of got the feeling that the floor and the walls were mostly made of metal. So the fire shouldn't really be able to spread that much. But I don't know, it was confusing and yeah. I didn't really buy it. But it's whatever. like, don't it- think too much about it. <laughs> they need to get I'm, out of there. That's the. That's what I'm an engineer, yeah. that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm the movie speaking right now, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was just a few minutes ago really, you know, getting knee high in the, the whole timeline thing. So I'm with you on. There's a lot of details like that in this yeah, movie, which yeah. makes it. The, the most important thing to note is that they accidentally blow up yeah uh, most of the base yeah. and most of the people exactly so. so yeah so the major uh, he brings out these two really cool vehicles and he says guys we're getting out of here bring your uh, bags and we're going to albany because i know that there's supposedly survivors there and much better climate and everything a bit more untouched by the uh, atom bombs than over here but to get to there we're going to go through damnation alley which is hell on earth essentially so then they set us set off on this adventure and during this adventure they pass through um, las vegas for once for one place um and they pick up a woman called janice who's been living there in her kimonos uh, sipping champagne or i have no idea I'm, i'm like sitting there where does she poop you know how can this be so clean uh anyways well, I was mostly surprised that the slot machines were still working because they shouldn't oh, if there had been yeah. nuclear bombs. They're electric, in the area. electric, right? I mean, they're yeah, not. yeah, partly at least. So okay, so mystery. Maybe she's a witch. So yeah, they. <laughs> <laughs> she's really, really happy to see them. Anyways, like she, she's essentially thinking, "Oh my god, I'm the last person alive, and how the fuck am I gonna get out of here?" You know, without dying. So she's very, very grateful to join these this crew of people. And then they pick up a boy, a very scared young boy. Um, and then eventually they get to, oh, it's a, like a deserted small town. And uh, they spot that there's a lot of uh, bugs. Was it, I a mean, s- right? was it a small town? Was it in um, Salt Lake City? I think. <laughs> okay. Well, my bad. <laughs> they passed through a very, very big city. <laughs> well, in the movie, it looks very small because yeah. apparently it's all being blown to hell but yeah whatever <laughs> i think it's salt lake city anyway okay so a very very big city and uh, they're kind of like well there's no one here for once and uh, it's kind of strange like they have corpses in cars but the cars aren't open and they're like well how did they d-? you know like there's just something weird about this place but they don't quite know yet, yet what but then they notice that these bugs come out uh, they're everywhere cockroaches and uh, i think there's some other animal but i don't remember but they are scared shitless of these bugs so they essentially need to flee from this place and they uh, smoke the bugs out with some sort of anti-bug <laughs> my god you need to help me i don't even remember <laughs> they did something with a lot of smoke machines at least and i was like okay they're... i don't know i think it was just probably just a fire extinguisher that yeah, they use yeah. to sort of deter the cockroaches yeah but they don't all make it out. Oh, what? Someone dies? Yes. <laughs> you don't Who? remember? Who died? Uh, Keegan. Yeah. No, what? Right. Wait, what? Keegan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very sorry, fellow listener. I did a very bad podcasting job for this one, but I hope you'll find uh, this mess entertaining in some way. 
So yeah, we have a very heroic death, I believe, from uh, Keegan. He died with the smoke machine, like, sacrificed himself, right, didn't he? It was something... Did he? I don't... I just, rem- I just remember him working with the smoke machine, trying to get these bugs to die. But, you know... I, I don't... I could be very wrong. I don't remember it that way, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's dead, at least. So now we're... Yes. <laughs> so now we're down to Major Man... Tanner man, Janice lady, and a boy. Uh, well, they get to this sort of western town situation thing where you have a man with the most fake beard ever <laughs> threatening them and somehow, somehow gets these people like under, you know, you know, the kid kidnaps them in a very sluggish sort of way. It's quite anticlimactic and not very. You know, it's not like you're sitting there, oh boy, how are they going to get out of this pickle, you know? Because they all seem a bit dirty and hungry and pathetic, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they do make it out of there. And oh, what happens next? There's Then there's the flood, right? Yeah, I just yeah. remembered something uh, when we were <laughs> going through the summary. <laughs> yes, <laughs> no. because when the, the base blows up, there's actually four survivors, but one of the guys dies very early on. <gasps> Oh, he gets crushed. Yeah. yeah, but he has like three lines or something. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. True, true. Yeah. Another but the, one. The, because because they start out with two cars, but then pretty early they only have one car. Yes. I'm sorry, I don't even know your name, Mr. Man. <laughs> uh, they make it out of this uh, western place. Mm-hmm. I think they're driving to like a junkyard yeah. and they want to look for spare parts for their car, I think. Mm. Or maybe they're looking for gas. I don't know. I, but there's it's, something. It's spare parts. That's one of the few. Yeah, things I yeah. Remember. <laughs> there's something for their, their uh, vehicle anyway. Yeah. And then uh, extreme weather happens and a flood uh, and they nearly drown there. And fun fact because I listened to the audio commentary mm. track for this film. Uh, f- uh, f- um, from the producer, oh, okay. and he he said when they uh, ordered this uh, van, mm. they they in the movie there's actually they pretend that there's two of these cars, but they only ever made one of them. Mm. And when they ordered it, they said that they wanted it waterproof and that it could you know float on the water, but it didn't actually work. So <laughs> it sunk like a rock when they tried it. <laughs> so the scene in in the film where you you're sort of seeing it looks like the car is sort of driving on the water but they're actually just driving in very shallow water because oh, it didn't work intended. <laughs> and, and then this car has actually survived it's currently oh. in uh, in a private collection somewhere. cool um but it is it has been restored and it is functional if i had a lot of money i would want to buy that because it's really cool the vehicle is kind of cool like it has like three tires instead of one tire mm-hmm. it has like three instead and that sometimes when when they spin, it changes tire essentially. Um, I don't know how to explain it in a better way, but and then the yeah, it's it's like for on a regular car you would have four tires, yeah. but now you have switched out each individual tire for three smaller yeah, ones exactly. that are like on their own sort of spin on this mm. triangle thing, uh, and it's very good for because they're driving in very rough terrain and it's very rocky and a lot of stones and stuff and it makes sure that they don't get stuck on the stones really. yeah and it's actually a pretty good idea i think for that kind of thing yeah i think it's really cool and it also has this uh like it looks very mobile because of the uh soft 
fab sort of material it has between the two main parts, which makes it, if it stands just like straight on the ground, it looks like one piece of metal. But as mm -hmm. it uh, starts to and you know move left and right, you can see that there's a soft silicone-ish material between two pieces, and it it just it looks neat. It just looks neat. I would love to uh, camp in that thing because it looks <laughs> it looks really cool. So. Yeah, <laughs> I honestly think the the van is the most uh, the landmaster. I think is what it's called mm. is the most remembered thing from this film. Oh yeah. Um, because it's it, the I'd look imagine. of it is is yeah. quite iconic, even though the movie itself is not iconic. Nice that, that it's hanging around and it's in the hands of someone who takes care of it. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Yeah, but uh, in the movie they don't take care of it; it gets drowned. But then, uh, it, as it's a uh, amphibic, or what do you want to call this kind of vehicle, amphibic yeah, vehicle? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it uh, it gets out of the water, and when they get out of this horrible, horrible flash flood situation where they're sinking and everything after they get out of that they uh, end up on you know in a landscape with that's very green and very untouched by the whole atomic and uh, they get a signal from the radio and start a communication with a survivor and uh, tanner who is the uh, nerf herder <laughs> The hot-headed guy. The hot-headed yeah. guy. He drives off, drives away on his dirt bike to meet up with the people immediately, and uh, they seem fine. So it ends. Uh, it ends happy, happily ever mm -hmm. after for the people. And I, I, I really like that. You know that you get a happy ending, and that th that it's actually untouched and a functioning society instead of like, haha, you're gonna be eaten <laughs> by cannibals now. Have fun, you know, because that's just like oh, okay. That's original. Yeah, you know. that's that's really interesting because I listened to a um, featurette on on the, my Blu-ray copy mm. of this from um, the screenwriter or one of mm. the screenwriters anyway, and he actually had wanted a darker ending because he thought the 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 ending that is in the film is a bit too sugary sweet kind of thing, mm. and he actually wanted it so that Tanner <laughs> and Billy, when they drive into the settlement, that they would be. Uh, arrested by the police for f uh, driving too fast <laughs> which would have been interesting too because that would have been like oh, this really is a functioning society that that remains with the police force and everything but yeah i don't know i kind of like the ending that we got as well yeah well I, I think that sort of ending when they're stopped by a police could have been fun like if they drive in with the car and they're mm -hmm. stopped by police and they're like you're driving too fast, but we're damn happy you're here. You know, like it's sort of this, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you can tell it's a functioning society, but they're really happy that they're going to get some additions mm -hmm, to the, mm -hmm. to the community. Um, so. That the, the getting arrested by police would have actually been closer to what happens in the novel, because in the novel, there's, the characters are very different. There's really only Tanner who is in the book, and he's not the same Tanner as in the film, but he's the, the, the only survivor that actually makes it cross oh. Damnation Alley. Uh, and when he gets to um, Albany or Boston, I don't remember which was his destination, he actually he ne he needs to deliver some medicine to to uh, the hospital, but he doesn't know where the hospital is. So mm. he's like, I need to talk to someone. I need to find a phone. And police actually arrest him for looting because they they believe that's what he's doing. He tr he's trying to break into a building, uh, uh, and he's huh. like, No, 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 no! I'm I'm the hero of this story. 
<laughs> so that would have been closer to that, actually. Do you want me to do a, a quick summary of the book as well? Oh yeah, go for it, sure. Because I think that's really important. Mm. It is. It was actually originally a novella. Um, mm. I didn't read the novella, but you can find it on archive.org mm. um, you'll have to search for Galaxy Magazine um, I don't remember which is issue of Galaxy Magazine but one of them I found it on archive it's there you can you can read it uh, but I did read the, the novel version which is a extended version of the story and in the novel it's the same setup a nuclear war things go to shit mm. in the world and we have as a result we have extreme weather we have mutated animals that are very dangerous and that kind of thing and we see that in the film as well but essentially in the in the book we have surviving civilizations on uh, the west and east coast of the united states and uh, our main character hell tanner he is the last surviving hell's angel and he's uh-huh. very much a bad dude but he's a very good driver so they want him to drive across damnation alley which is essentially just the middle part all the middle part of the u.s to deliver medicine to uh to uh, i believe i believe he drives from the the west coast to the east coast because the east coast has plague and he needs to save them kind of sounds like a fallout quest to me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Adding that yeah, in there, I yeah. like that. <laughs> so, uh, and he's pretty much forced into this because, uh, in return for being released, uh, because he's pretty much been in prison. So he and I think it's three other guys who are also good drivers, but they are not criminals. They are just good dudes. Set out on this journey, and I think what's interesting is that, in the beginning, Tanner is very much him. He. he says it plainly that if he gets to choose between his own life and the life of the civilization on the East Coast, he mm. would pick himself. But then in the end, and and this is really what I liked about the book, is that in the end he's the last one of, of this uh, team mm. and he's the only one left that can get the medicine and he actually does it. He has, mm. during this journey, he has found his humanity and he nearly do die, like he's very close to dying. So he he essentially does sacrifice himself to save other people. And I think that's a very nice journey he makes. And that is a stark contrast to this movie because I couldn't really yes. say that anyone has any sort of <laughs> character development. No, no. And, and another difference I felt was also that in the book there's a sense of urgency because we do get a few scenes from the people in, in Boston and Albany ah. where we see people are dying and we see them really trying to keep the hope up that hopefully someone, someone will, will yeah. survive Damnation Alley and come to us with medicine. And, and I think that was also really... A, a good part of the book to see how they were keeping that hope mm. up. Uh, I wouldn't say I think that the the book is great. Actually, for for large part of the book, when I was reading it, I thought it was pretty boring. But then I got to the end and I saw this. I, I kind of saw what I think Roger Selassny, the author of the story, wanted to do. You know, what was his mm. message? And the message was that some good parts of humanity will survive the apocalypse you know mm. the boston people they are being hopeful they are being optimistic and tanner of course mm. you know he's finding his humanity and all that and i i really appreciated that when i got to the end of the book i was like hmm yeah this is actually 
much better than I expected it to be. And it seems to have a much more clearer message than uh, the movie, to be honest. Yes. It kind of sounds <laughs> like if they would have been stuck closer to those core elements uh, and plot points that you uh, talk about, it would have been made a better movie, to be honest. And, and also a, another thing that I was thinking when I was reading the book is that as they are traveling across Damnation Alley, they are encountering a lot of these mutated animals mm. and they do this in the in the film as well though i think we only we're only seeing the cockroaches and yeah. the big scorpions that are in the beginning uh, in the novel there's more of them but roger salasny describes them as very he uses words that we're familiar with you know he describes them as bats or butterflies and we have expectations mm-hmm. based on that but yeah. then when you we sort of seeing the actions mm-hmm. of these animals we sort of figure out, you know, these are not bats and butterflies that we are used to. This is something much, much more dangerous. Yeah. I liked how Selassny didn't describe them a lot. He just he, he just used a few adjectives to describe these animals. And mm-hmm. I think the, the, the sort of the, the, the room the reader is left with to fill out their own details. I think that was very impactful because... It sort of enhanced the alienness of these animals yeah. uh, and just how strange and dangerous they are. And I don't really think that's translated into the film. Do you know how he reacted to the movie? I believe he was not a fan of it. And so Roger Selassny is actually he's quite a, a well-known science fiction and fantasy author. And he has won a Hugo Awards and a mm. whole bunch of stuff. But after Damnation Alley, he pretty much said, I never want anyone to make... A film of oh, my no. books again. Now he's dead, and I think his estate has finally allowed uh, his Chronicles of Amber book series to be made into a TV series. But that's like the first one since Damnation Alley. Oh wow! Well, that speaks volumes, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's sad. But I'm really looking forward to Chronicles of Amber. I think that would be amazing, uh, a good TV show. But the the kind of point that I was w- wanting to make about the animals is that in the film we have the cockroaches and the scorpions for a short while but I don't think because in the books or in the book the animals feel really scary and really strange but in the movie I don't really think that they succeed with that because I felt that the cockroaches were more comedic honestly than than scary because they were sort of yeah Oh yeah, it 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 was it was kind of like at first I wasn't really sure what they were like reacting on, you know, like they were sort mm-hmm. of sc- like there's one scene where you hear a scream, like a really loud, terrified scream, and the immediate shot after that is of Janice just basically looking very calmly. It's obviously her scream, and she's looking very calmly at a cockroach like crawling around on a mannequin's head. And uh, Tanner runs up to her and, oh, you know, and they're just like losing their shits over a bunch of cockroaches. And it just seems uh, silly, really. You don't really feel the threat that they're obviously feeling of this. And I, I'm not really sure if they had encountered this sort of invasion of cockroaches before. And they were like, oh boy, this is, this is serious, you know, um, because it came off a bit, like you say, more almost mm-hmm. funny than terrifying yeah or yeah it was it, it was a bit strange and i think the implication is that they're reacting to how big the cockroaches is and that there's so many of them and, yeah but at the, know, in the beginning i'm talking of... about them in the beginning because then in the beginning they're small 
and just mm-hmm. crawling around over tires and like I said, mm-hmm. like tiny one on a mannequin's head. So yeah, and then yeah. already they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> without there really being any reason for it. <laughs> Fun fact, these cockroaches, uh, they're actually from Madagascar and I believe what? it's the largest species of cockroaches. Why on, on, on uh, earth would you bring another type of cockroach into your country? That is, <laughs> that is the most outrageous thing about actually anything they, in this production. They they ordered three hundred of these cockroaches for the film, and then they were supposed to deliver them back to Madagascar afterwards. But they're actually, I think, the in the commentary track, the producer said that several years later, oh in the studio God. or whatever, they actually they were remodeling and they found like several of these cockroaches still there. Oh my God, that is. <laughs> infuriating (laughs) what are customs doing they should have been like wait are you trying to bring another type of cockroach into this country you 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 take that package and you you take it back home no yeah but the 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 plan was that it was only going to be males so like 300 male cockroaches so they wouldn't reproduce uh but it might have been a mistake that they were a female in there and uh the surviving cockroaches that i found (laughs) <laughs> later yeah, on like as if they're that, gonna but... be that thorough when it's 300 <laughs> of them oh my god uh so what did you think about like the special effects here because we have these um like you know the giant cockroaches the giant um scorpions and then we have this kind of funky weather that's uh going on essentially all the time you know green skies of storms and things like what did you what did you think about the look of that um I, I think I mean I'm I'm used to watching a lot of older films with sort of old-fashioned special effects, and I think they were good enough for this film. They weren't fantastic, but they were good enough. I think the cockroaches were probably the best because they partly they used live cockroaches and partly they used models. Mm. And they in in the commentary track he was sort of explaining how they would put the cockroaches on uh, pieces of cloth and then they would pull the cloth and it would look like it would be a a big chunk of cockroaches sort of moving in group. Mm. Uh, I thought I thought that looked pretty neat. Um, and then the scorpions, they are sort of uh, superimposed. I think is what you call that kind of effect. Yeah. And the producer said that actually originally they used practical scorpions, like big that they had built, but they didn't really like how it looked, so they switched it out for uh, superimposed quote-unquote real uh, scorpions mm. that they had filmed with the results <laughs> thereafter it does it yeah. doesn't look great yeah, um, I think some stop motion would have been a bit nicer there actually yes because yes, they don't definitely. really seem to at all to be on the same plane you know and mm-hmm. so it doesn't look very good and it's kind yeah. it was actually kind of confusing at one point because they, in the very beginning he's driving around on his dirt bike and he encounters this um small gang of cockroaches no uh, of uh, scorpions scorpions mm-hmm. and um he drives around them and he you know uh, yeah, confuses yeah. Them essentially. It, it didn't really work it um no i think when you when you superimpose them the way it was done in the film you sort of you sort of lose a sense of depth in the picture and here it was sort of you know, Tanner was driving his bike between the scorpions, yeah. but it didn't really. They they look kind of flat, so it didn't really, didn't really look. Yeah, that like great. him driving around was the part that made it look a bit strange. You, they, sh- they should have used like stop motion or, you know, made better models or something. I think. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I agree. And then they ha- we have the skies, uh, which this is actually something I want to go into a bit more mm. because this is one of the reasons it was very delayed, the release mm-hmm. of this, because it was scheduled for a release of Christmas in 1976. But then when they were sort of working on the post-production, they, they figured out that, you know, we need to do something with the skies to make it look more like extreme weather mm. and all that. Uh, so they were making... Because the skies in the film, when they are in Damnation Alley, they're, they're sort of red-tinted. Mm. And they have this very strange cloud formations, mm. which... I don't know exactly how they made the, these, but I think that the producer said that it had to do with lasers. And it was very time-consuming to make these effects. Ah. So they had to delay the release of the film. So, you know... It's interesting. From Christmas of 1976, they said, oh, okay, let's delay it. But then in May of 1977, we have a little movie called Star Wars being released. <laughs> so they say, okay, let's delay it to Christmas of 1977, because we planned it to be a Christmas release. But in December of 1977, there's a little movie called Close Encounters of the Third Kind oh, coming no. out. So they put this in October of 1977, sort of straight between Close Encounters and Star Wars. Mm. And it failed mm. <laughs> it bombed i think according to imdb domination alley cost something like 17 million dollars to make mm. and in the u.s it made like half of that so do you know it was vastly overshadowed by these other two sci-fi films yeah and very understandable uh, given the <laughs> yeah. kind of titans that it came between uh smack in the middle of as you said but like do you know what the reception was like what was the main things that did make it a success really I didn't uh, read any mm. reviews of it, but I think it was it was mostly uh, special effects because when you compare it to both Star Wars mm. and Close oh, Encounters, yeah. the special effects are inferior, really. Even though this was more expensive than Star Wars mm-hmm. to make, I think they sort of put the money in the wrong areas, really. So you're saying that it kind of seemed a bit dated? Yes, and this is actually so, this yeah. is actually something I was thinking about when I was researching this, and I may be barking up the wrong tree here, but I kind of got the impression that there really ha- there was something that happened between 1976 and 1977 mm-hmm. in the movie industry mm-hmm. when it comes to special effects, like not not something like huge, just something happened mm. because when you look at 1976. And the sci-fi films that were made that year. The one that I would argue is the most famous is Logan's Run. Mm. And Logan's Run is a good looking film, but it hasn't aged very well. True. Like you look at it and it really does feel like a movie made in, in the 76. 70s, yeah. But then you look at Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And that's, I think, still looks very modern. Like mm. the spaceship in Close Encounters. Yes. Th- looks equally as good as something we would do today, mm. in my opinion. So I kind of felt like Damnation Alley had the <laughs> misfortune mm. of being just in the wrong time. <laughs> like being released at the wrong time. And it just sort of failed because of yeah, that. Yeah, because it's hard to not think that like as you're watching it, this is from the same year as Star Wars is. And Star mm-hmm. Wars looks really good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure it has its faults, but it looks really good. So yeah, maybe you're on to something there. Like... You know, something happened. What happened? Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, mm. I, I, I'm not 
an expert on film history or or film production or anything like that. It was just sort of a feeling I got. I was think I was really thinking about this, and then I was like, "What came out in '76? Mm. Oh, Logan's Run." Mm. And I've seen Logan's Run more than once, mm. and I like it. Mm. But when you compare it to Close Encounters, it looks much older, yeah. and I think that's the case with Damnation Alley as well. It looks, it just doesn't look modern yeah. enough for the time period. Or for for it doesn't look modern enough for October of seventy seven, but like you say with the sky and everything, it's it's good enough, but it's not good enough for nineteen seventy seven. I think that's a yeah. good summary yeah. of uh, the sort of aesthetics that we have there. Here, it's the van is the star of the show. Uh, the mm. characters we could get into that a bit, but they're kind of bland and they don't really have the sort of development that you talked about that exists in the book so it's kind it kind of feels like they dropped the ball on this one they have Mm -hmm. this material and they don't make the most of it in a way it's kind of Mm -hmm. like they're focused on the wrong things yes um and if if we want to get into characters because i have some thoughts regarding mm, that but one of the things that struck me is that between tanner and denton that was the major right yeah yeah yeah, in the beginning they set up the sort of antagonism between them, you know. Yeah, ever Denton, so Denton, Yeah, <laughs> Denton is this very straight-laced military guy, and he's you know he's structured, and he's like, you're supposed to follow my orders and things like that. And Tanner is, uh, you know, the, the youthful, hot-headed, bicycle uh, guy, um, and they don't really get along, mm. and that is. I think they set up that antagonism really well, but then the idea is that in the end they would have grown to like each other or respect each other, and that has been done so often that it, it's essentially a trope. Mm. And they set up that trope wonderfully, but they never pay like they never get to the point where they actually respect each other. Like in the end, the antagonism is still there. There is no payoff on this trope in the film or yeah. this, this it kind of just seemed like it's forgotten almost like it's not yes. like it's actively something like like you say it, they do set it up early on but then it's not really as if it's going anywhere it just no fizzles out and mm-hmm. um, and i also sort of felt like they originally had wanted to make a romance between tanner and janice like yeah. like i sort of got I, I got the feeling that that, yeah. that 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 was supposed to be in the film, but it wasn't. Like I felt like we were missing something there. That that they had wanted to do make or to do more with her character because as it is, she's pretty worthless. Yeah, she's <laughs> just hanging around and you know hugging people. No, yeah. now and then. It's, and screaming. Yeah, and screaming. It's her character is kind of strange, and also the boy. I didn't really get a good feel of who he was. It wasn't like there was, at least to me, I've, you know, with my attention span and everything, I didn't get the feeling that he had some sort of, like, say, let's say, paternal relationship blossoming, maybe with the major, no. but I, do, I don't even think that's. I think I'm like adding memories mm-hmm, to my mm-hmm. watching experience. I think, I think the idea was that this group of people that eventually survive Damnation Alley that they would be like a family unit and that would say something about the survival of civilization yeah. in the post-apocalyptic world because we have you know Denton he's sort of the older guy he's not really the grandfatherly type but he's he represents an older generation and then we have Janice and Tanner yeah. 
Yeah, which are sort of the same generation mm. and would assumedly uh, become a couple. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Billy, the kid, who is the even younger generation mm. and, and uh, they would sort of become a family. But we don't really see that. That's That's really a lost opportunity, I think. So another thought that struck me as I was watching the film and comparing it to the book is that Tanner in the book... You know, I, I I explained how he sort of starts out as a not very nice guy and then he sort of becomes a nice guy in the end. But he felt more like a sort of proto-Han Solo kind of character. You know, mm. he, he's, he's a smuggler, he's a criminal. And then in the end, it turns out that he does have a good heart, you know. And I like that, I appreciated that. But in the film, Tanner feels more like a Luke Skywalker kind of character, you know. Yes. The, the, the mm. impulsive youth a man but also kind of a boy at the same time who doesn't really think before he acts that kind of thing and i'm not sure that's what i wanted i think i prefer tanner in the book honestly i also think that um he looks a bit too old to be a luke type of character like he looks to be in his 30s and i just looked it up as you were talking like yeah he was 30 32 so uh, and he looks to be 32, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But mm-hmm. um, it just kind of makes that sort of, you know, character traits or whatever you want to call it a bit more off maybe. But uh, again, like none of these characters really got the, you know, I don't know, do, do, do work, do time or whatever you want to. <laughs> I don't know how mm-hmm. to explain it, but like they didn't really get any, any sort of d- proper development to make them interesting or charming or anything that would make you want to know what happens to them okay so uh, moving on to our next segment uh, replace an actor to improve the movie and the premise for this is you're in a time machine and you can bring any actor from any era to replace one actor in this film who would you bring well Linnea I would bring Anna Kendrick and Anna Kendrick would replace Janice in this movie. And my reason for replacing Janice is that I think uh, that her character should have been a bit more like maybe like charming because she doesn't really have any sort of physical things that make her a contribution in that way to the crew, in my opinion. Remember my attention span here. But uh, <laughs> I feel like I need to point that out so no one gets offended here. But so yeah I, w- I want someone who's a bit more charming has a bit more charisma and could you know contribute in you know the social kind of way and i think anna kendrick yeah, definitely can bring that way more than um so i don't know what uh, dominic sanders um background is like what where her where she's from but uh i think she's french okay so french well mm-hmm. anna kendrick wouldn't be french she'd just be canadian or something uh in my picture (laughs) but yeah i remember just like at the first scene with janice like you know accent or not i found it to be hard to hear what she was saying because she was Mm -hmm. she was talking i really low and very slurry you know slow and slurry Mm -hmm. if you didn't get what i was saying there like i didn't get what janice was saying so yeah that's who i would replace who would you replace yeah Uh, and who would you bring to um Well, I have an idea, but first I want to sort of uh, just answer to Mm. your idea here regarding Dominic Sanda. The producer on the commentary track, he talked about how they had wanted uh, a foreign actress for this role. I'm not sure exactly why they wanted a foreign actress, but they did. 
Um, and Dominic Sanda is a French actress, and she had had some, some um, played in some some European films, and it had gone pretty good. So they wanted mm. her, but it was her first or her very early film anyway for her to to play in English. She was not used to that, um, and he said that they actually had to sort of train her to to speak in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I think she does an alright job. I wasn't a fan of her, but if if this was her very first job in English, I think she did fine. Yeah, that um, makes sense. You know, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the problems I have with the character of Janice wasn't so much because of the actress; mm. it was other things. Um, I want, but recording replacing an actor, uh, I would also replace Janice. Um, but I would replace. I would change her in a way different from from the way you you uh, your idea mm. was because when they encountered Janice in Las Vegas I the, the way I interpreted it is that she had been alone there for quite a while mm, yeah. and I kind of wanted someone an actress that I felt like yes this is a woman I think can survive on her own for that mm. long so I would replace her with Linda Hamilton <laughs> and I'm thinking sort of like Terminator 2, Sarah Connor, that, that yeah. Linda Hamilton, because I felt like, yes, she she could do that. Uh, I don't really felt like Dominic Sanda, or Dominic Sanda's version of Janice anyway, was that much of a survivor, really. Yeah, because like, how did she, how did she even get food? I don't even... I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's I why know. I think Anna Kendrick would be good, because I do think like Anna Kendrick could find food. Uh, but yeah, regarding your pick, I mean, Linda Hamilton, I want to see her, like, t- Terminator 2, Linda Hamilton should be in everything, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> I love her. <laughs> she will always be my beach body goals. Um. <laughs> but yeah, so absolutely. And I think Linda Hamilton is a capable actor, so I think she would have made a- any any role in that movie with Linda Hamilton. Just Linda Hamilton in <laughs> desert with that vehicle, you know, fighting scorpions, thinking about life and <laughs> <laughs> and the possibility of being alone in the world after the apocalypse that would have been great <laughs> I could just see that Damnation Alley starring Linda Hamilton yes. in every role <laughs> talking to herself <laughs> would have been great uh, yes yeah, so moving on to relationship Rick fantasize about a romantic relationship that we don't see in the movie but you want it to happen aka Shepid yeah, well, um, we sort of talked about how Tanner and Janice was sort of the the, the one we expected to happen, but mm. it didn't really happen. So that would be the f- like the, maybe the first one you think about. But but I actually want to ship Janice and Keegan. Yeah, Keegan dies early in the film, but if we imagine that he survived, you want to make a widow out of her then. <laughs> No, not really. But, you know, if we imagine that he survives till the end, uh, I think they would have made a cute couple. Because Keegan, honestly, if I was going to pick a a favorite character, I would probably pick him because he was was the optimistic guy. He was Mm. the one who... He, he wanted did. to live. He he liked music and he liked painting and he, he you know, he he really he, he missed parts of the old society, you know. He yeah. he He missed the good parts. Yeah, and I think honestly, out of the the guys in this film, he was most set up as being the one who missed the relationship 
with a woman the most. He does say at some point, I don't remember what exactly he said, but but you know he's sort of reminiscing about what he's m- missing, and he says things like like music and, um, and company. Is it, is it yeah, yeah company? Like... And I think he I think he also says babies. So I oh. I, I kind of inferred from that yeah. that he wanted a family. Um, so. I think he would made, have made a good good match for Janice, really. I forgot that he even died, so I don't know if I <laughs> forgot that because I didn't want him to die. Because I also like, I did like him as a character. He seemed to be the most likable of the bunch, uh, honestly. So yeah, I I think your ship is uh, an excellent one, but I want to ship Janice and Denton. I don't have the best reasons for doing this, but. Um, it was just kind of a gut reaction to the way that they have, um, like to, to their body language, essentially. Like, I felt like when they were hugging and things like that, it seemed kind of intimate. And you could argue that it was more like a fatherly intimacy. But, uh, like, Denton seemed to be kind of on the lookout for a woman. I think he commented on the um, radio lady voice from um, mm-hmm. Albany. Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, she's 25. Like, like he would be interested mm-hmm. in her or something like that. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Why not? There isn't a whole lot to <laughs> build on in, in this movie. So, I'm, yeah. Janice and Dan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I trying to put myself into Janice's situation and having to choose between Tanner and Denton. Ooh. Like, we assume that these are the last two men alive yeah. in, on Earth. You know, Tanner is much more immature you know he's he takes risks he you know he's a daredevil while Denton is he's a capable mature guy you know he he thinks before he acts mm. i think Denton would be the better alternative honestly. yeah if you're like if you're thinking very rationally about it like who would s- most likely survive for the longest time and uh, who would remember to you know bring out the trash when it's full in there uh-huh. you know? yeah that would probably be Denton yeah i agree Tanner is the far more attractive person, in my opinion. But yes. uh, he's like a uh, 32-year-old man-baby, so yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I think both of them are good-looking. Yeah, um, well, true. But the most but, good-looking but, would be Tanner. Yes, yes, I agree. I mean, I, I have a thing for guys with long hair, and Tanner mm. in the film has sort of long hair. Yeah, so he I has that uh, 70s uh, grown-out <laughs> floop thing that also Luke Skywalker has. That's another yes. uh, thing they have in common, these two movies. <laughs> Can we bring back that sort of hairstyle? Like, a styled, <laughs> floopy, grown-out thing that's, you know... Please. <laughs> Bang Bond Blast, Linnea. You have the choice of Tanner, Janice, and Keegan. Who are you gonna, aka fuck, Mary kill then? You know, but Bang Bond Blast, our version of that. I think I would bond Keegan first of all because I, he, you know, he, he's a pretty good-looking guy. Mm. But also for the same reason as as I was shipping him and Janice, I, because I think he he was a very sympathetic character. You know, he he loved life, and I. I would kind of want that in a post-apocalyptic landscape, you know, someone to keep things happy when everything yeah. is not happy. And then I think I would blast Janice and God damn, I mean Dominic. Same thing now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Dominic Sander is pretty and all, but Janice, the character of Janice is very bland and uninteresting, and I just don't want her. Uh, so I would bang Tanner because. 
Tanner is a man baby, but he's a pretty... Yeah, I'm doing the exact, exact same thing. And pretty much for the exact same reasons. Bonding with Keegan because he's the nicest one and seems like a very reliable and you know, nice choice to have in this apocalyptic world. And I'm blasting Janice because... Uh, boring. I mean, it's very dumb to blast one of the last females on Earth. Uh, <laughs> very <laughs> irresponsible, I have to say. But I want to bang Tanner, so I'm going to blast Janice. And Tanner is an attractive man with the 70s flu pair we just discussed. So, <laughs> you know. The, f- the flu pair is a good reason. Yes, for him, like. flu pair and muscles. And th- that's <laughs> fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to our next segment, which is arguing why this should win a Gordon. And uh, Gordon is our version of the Oscar. And the categories are equally as made up as the award itself. (laughs) So, uh, Eva, yeah, why would this win a Gordon and in which category? Well, Linnea, Damnation Alley from 1977 should and will, I'm sure, (laughs) win a Gordon for the... most fake beard ever (laughs) and I am of course talking about the uh, leader of the Pac-Man in the sort of western village thing Uh, it looked horrible it was very distracting and they should have just you know (laughs) not have it basically but it is kind of nice and kind of funny to have something as gorgeously fake as that beard so yeah definitely winning for fakest beard Yes, yes, that that is a good choice. I'm going to pick something a bit more serious. And I would say that this should win a Gordon uh, in 1977 for the coolest looking car Mm. or van, uh, vehicle, whatever you want to call it. The Landmaster. Uh, I don't actually know if maybe it did win awards for that because it is, like I said earlier, it's a pretty iconic part of the film. Mm. And it is cool looking and it actually looks functional. Like the design... Looks like the kind of vehicle that you could drive around in uh, in a post-apocalyptic landscape. So, yeah, coolest looking car, I would say. This should win. It should win. It should win for that <laughs> reason. And did they win? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do have Star Wars and Close Encounters in the same year, so there's some there's some competition there. But you know. but but let's get real. I mean, there is not a fake <laughs> fake ass beard like the one in Damnation Alley in either. <laughs> Close Encounters or Star Wars. And True. there aren't cool cars like the one we have in Damnation Alley. So I'm pretty sure we're sweeping the floor with these movies. Yeah, so just, let's just uh, round up, up our discussion of this and, you know, play with the idea like, should this be remained in 2019? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think this is actually a pretty interesting question because the producer in the commentary track, he actually talks about... Uh, how he thinks the movie should be remade or or, or how yeah. he thinks that the movie could do well as a remake mm. because a lot of the things he's sort of dissatisfied with are the special effects and he says, you know, with today's technology we could do this so much better and he seems even willing himself to, to do a re- remake of it. Um, to my knowledge, there are not a remake being made uh, and maybe never will, but the producer at least is... Um, positive to that idea personally i i agree with him regarding you know the special effects Mm. you could do this a much better looking film today Mm. uh but then at the same time i'm thinking of the environment that spawned this film you know Mm. it is 
the fear of nuclear war, which is not really something we live with today. Not the same way they did in that time period, you know, yeah. with the Cold War and everything. So I think we have sort of passed that period when that is something that feels like an actual threat. But they could change it, they could modernize it and, and make it a commentary on something that is happening today. You know, maybe make it about North Korea and the threat that they are posing or mm. whatever. I think Damnation Alley, there is room for a remake, but it needs to be modernized to suit uh, our society right yeah, now. Yeah, the audience like of today. Uh, well, I think that because the source material differs so much from the uh, result in 1977, like the idea of a remake mm-hmm. doesn't seem strange to me because they didn't really, you know, they strayed quite a bit from the source material. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, given what we've talked about, the characters and special effects and uh, plot lines and everything, they could do it better today. But uh, I kind of want to touch on your point of the atomic thing. Because, like, yeah, I agree with you. It's not, like, one of the things that we put on high on our fear list, you know. Mm-hmm. Climate change would probably be kind of high. and Yes, yes. But I do, mm-hmm. f- like, I, I remember watching Nike documentary. Or it could have been a segment in a, you know, news thing or whatever. But, like, the kind of slack routine they have at places where they have bombs today. And mm-hmm. this was mm-hmm. specifically, like, American bases where they have... Uh, remote bombs or whatever you are i mean obvi- i'm not mm-hmm. a very i'm mm-hmm. not someone who's very interested in military things so that's why my lingo for this is horrible how the routine routines and everything is kind of slack so if you wanted to you could basically like break in there without too much effort or someone could make a mistake kind of easily because you know it, the, these things are kind of old by now but they're still powering mm-hmm. the the things that they're protecting and the things that they are yeah. supposedly you know, whatever. Isn't there... I, I don't remember if this was specifically a place that deals with nuclear weapons, but I think there was some place in America with dangerous things, dangerous goods, uh, that was actually still run with floppy disks. Like, oh, not yeah. small oh, floppy yeah. disks, like Absolutely. the big ones. <laughs> yes. I believe this was in the, se- in the same thing I saw. It, the, there was a segment yeah. of like, yeah, here's the floppy disks that we actually... <laughs> And that, and that was just like the tip of the iceberg, basically. So I think that you could have, if you wanted to, like play around with this atomic bomb thing, which I feel like maybe it should have a renaissance because like it's still something that we as humans have in our arsenal to do to each other. So I still mm-hmm. I think it's a conversation that should still be happening, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could play around with the fact that we haven't really like kept our routines and security up since the cold war and shit can go down (laughs) from just the mistake of someone dropping a cigarette on the floor as in what sets Mm -hmm. off these this crew on on the in the movie Uh, i don't think i think it takes more than a dropped cigarette to thankfully you know set off these things but um you know maybe there could be an a comment on human error or uh, hubris Mm -hmm, with the sort of powers we're playing around with um and get the same sort of scorched earth effect that you that it's after in the movie. So why not, you mm-hmm. know, why not remake it? Basically, it has a cool name too, Damnation Alley. I mean, that sounds cool, yeah. right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think in today's society, the name would work better because I've, uh, I, I got the impression that a lot of 
like kids in the 70s who wanted to go see Damnation Alley because it was a cool sci-fi film. They weren't allowed to because it had Damnation oh, in the title. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that would work excellently today because we don't care. So <laughs> Most of us yeah. anyway. <laughs> Shouldn't generalize, but yeah. So, listener, have you seen Damnation Alley or have you read the book, maybe? Uh, we want to know what you think, so go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash starcrashedpodcast, uh, where you can share your thoughts and also give us recommendations for future episodes. Uh, join us in two weeks as we sit down and talk about another film. Bye! Bye! Bye.